Welcome. This is the Fly Fishing Journeys podcast with host Rob Giannino, where we have great conversation with really awesome experts from within the fly fishing community. You see, the fly fishing lifestyle is a journey, and we're glad you're on this journey with us. Check out flyfishingjourneys.com for more podcasts, and please subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Here's your host, Rob Giannino. Everyone loves dry flies, and when you match that up with big cicadas, hungry rainbows, and miles and miles of S-turns, cut banks, and the beautiful Wyoming landscape, you've got Savory Creek. Along with my son and traveling buddy Tyler, we sat down with Bryce Reed and Madison Kopsa at Savory Creek Fishing. Bryce gives us the lowdown on how to fish big dry flies like a cicada. Madison breaks down other bugs to be prepared for, including several caddisfly patterns. Lots of fun and plenty of laughs on this episode. I want to say a huge thank you to you, our listeners. We get so many people who come by the podcast booth at the fly fishing shows or DM me and say how much they're enjoying the podcast. So many who say they go back to the beginning of the catalog and listen all the way through. That means so much to me as we aim to put out great content for your fly fishing journey. Stay close as we'll be having some huge announcements in the coming weeks. Thanks for being part of the community. Did you hear the last episode with Tim O'Neill of Norvice? We discussed the history of this innovative vice and hear about the beloved and late founder Norm Norlander. Tim does a great job, so I encourage you to take a listen. You can find the Norvice show calendar in their online store at nor-vice.com. We have some fly fishing shows coming up. I will be at the Denver show February 11th through 13th with the podcast booth. It will take place at the beautiful Gaylord Rockies Resort and Conference Center. This place is amazing. After that, we'll be at the Lancaster PA Show in March and the Marlboro, Massachusetts Show in April. I encourage you to come out if you can, and please be sure to stop by the podcast booth and say hello. We have some free reel covers from Bissell Insurance and an amazing brook trout print that we're raffling off by Jim Elias. I look forward to meeting you. You can see the entire show season and all the programs at flyfishingshow.com. Well, thank you for tuning in to the next episode of the Fly Fishing Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Rob Giannino, and we are in Wyoming. We are on the 21-day epic coast-to-coast father-son fly fishing tour around the country, and we are on our first major stop in Wyoming, Savory Creek. We are super excited to have both Bryce Reed and Maddie on our podcast today. So guys, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for coming out. Glad you made it out. So Yeah, we're glad to have you guys here. Oh man, what an incredible past couple of days. Uh, Tyler, my co-host, my son Tyler Gino on the podcast today. First time on your podcast, bud. Welcome. Hi, how's it going? Yeah, I'm glad you are a part of this epic journey. Your first dry fly eat was yesterday. Yep. Uh, Bryce, we originally met at the fly fishing show in Denver, and you started telling me about your property here in Savory Creek and the beautiful dry fly fishing in the 18 miles of pool after pool after pool of these beautiful S-turns and cut banks and the incredible dry fly fishing. Why don't you tell listeners a little bit about Savory Creek? Yeah, so we're located in uh, southern Wyoming, a small tailwater keeps uh, around 20 CFS, so it's a pretty small stream. It's real sneaky water. A lot of sight casting to fish, big dries. We got a huge terrestrial hatch, all kinds. I'll let Maddie talk more about those bugs, but yeah, we're just a small family-owned lodge, small groups, no more than six. And what is the best access into the creek? Uh, just walk wade. It's all such a small creek that we just walk wade and always yep. fishing up into pools and 
fishing every little bit of water we can because as you've seen they come out of everywhere so yeah yeah we've been on uh two incredible uh, dry fly days and really the best dry fly fishing i've ever seen especially for terrestrials i've never fished a cicada before so maddie why don't you tell us uh you're an entomologist or you have some background in entomology yeah before you get into the cicada and all the entomology you want to tell the listeners a little bit about your background so i grew up just outside of steamboat about an hour south of savory bryce and i met we just met through the love of fly fishing i guess you could say and it just kind of progressed from there so um, I started guiding up here about two years ago, and we just have a blast every yeah. day with anybody that comes up. And then a bit about your entomology and your background in bugs. So I studied fish and uh, wildlife biology at the University of Wyoming down in Laramie, and um, I focused in aquatics, and I was able to take a aquatic entomology class where my love for aquatic insects really flourished, um, as well as some terrestrial bugs as well. I so enjoyed being out in the river with you because you were always picking up rocks and telling me about the caddis and the different types of caddis. What type of caddises do we see out there today? We saw all different types of caddises. We saw the caddis that built cases, the smaller caddis, and then we saw the free-living caddis. And we also had the opportunity to see the great northern caddis, which is the largest caddis species. And they build a massive case, and it looks like they're closing up their cases and getting ready to pupate. So we're looking for a hatch here soon. So you also have some cicadas. Bryce, tell our listeners about the cicada and the 17-year cycle of the cicada. And for a lot of people may not know anything about the cicada bug. We get them every year. They hatch every year, but just some years are bigger than others. Okay. Historically, this is supposed to be the big 17-year hatch that happens only 17 years. But So it's like 4, 11, and 17 years of oh, the, the, the big hatches. We see them every year. It just depends if the water's high. And the fish are looking up for them. Sometimes the river's blown out when those cicadas are here. Yep. And they're doing their deal. So, Give our listeners kind of a visual of where in the world Savory Creek is. So south central Wyoming, right along the Colorado border, uh, near the North, North Platte, north of Steamboat, Colorado, north of Craig, Colorado. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere right here, but... That's I found like that it. out. That's why we like it here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not many fishermen. And what is the headwaters and where does it flow to? So the headwaters of Savior Creek started on the Sierra Madres on the Continental Divide and flow west into the Little Snake River, which flows into the Yampa River, which flows into the Green and so on down. But So it's part of this giant water system. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty big here. It's uh, just on the other side of the divide is the North Platte, so everything else runs north from there and then we run south, so... So the Savory Creek, I mean, if you when you all get here, guys, I mean, you have 18 miles of private S-turns. I mean, the cut banks and these beautiful S-turns as you go on. It's like every pool is like a brand, it's like a new start, you know? So if you, you spook a fish or if you, you know, catch a couple nice ones and it kind of slows down, you just go up to the next pool. Yeah, it's, it's one after another, which we've done a lot of work on restoring the whole property and restoring the river. So it does clean itself after each big runoff. But yeah, it's endless. It takes about 10 full days to fish the whole place. So, and that's hard full days. That's amazing. And we had two really nice, fun days, and it, the, the action was just constant. And, you, you know, you might have to change the fly. It might slow down a little. You might have to push up to the next pool. But it's not long before you're finding another one of these big, beautiful 16, 17, 18, 20-plus-inch fish that we caught. And I know throughout the year you guys are catching them up 24, 25. Yeah, every year we get into those those fish once or twice a year. I mean, 
that that's our average fish that you were catching these last few days so it's that's pretty common you know when 18 to 20 is your average you're doing pretty good (laughs) yeah we're pretty lucky on dries oh yeah we're lucky but we we keep a very low pressured fishery Mm -hmm. so we we rest beats for sometimes up to weeks even in prime season so well yeah when you have 18 miles for six people and that's if you're full yeah you're doing pretty good and you can move people around and in this cicada, I've never really used these big... I mean, what was the number? What size cicada were we fishing today? Uh, this morning, we started with a four. And they're big, foamy ones, not two, just like a little four. It's like a big, foamy four. Yeah, as much as you can tie on that four hook. <laughs> yeah, size four hook, but don't worry. We definitely pinch the barbs so that we're not hooking into any gills or yep. really killing any fish out here. Yeah, this is, this is your baby here. This is your your heritage your family heritage so why don't we talk about that why don't we talk about the family heritage of savory creek and this this beautiful cabin this is the fifth generation cattle ranch so my grandpa my great-grandpa and my great-great-grandpa have all ran this cattle ranch and now my uncle and my cousin have started taking it over so it's it's been in the family over 120 years this main place my great-great-grandpa built this the old cabin down here that you've seen yeah and it's still a functioning full functioning cattle ranch and We've worked hard to keep it in the family for this long. That's awesome. Tell us a little bit about this actual cabin. I think it's called the Cobb Cabin? Yeah, we just named it after our family's name, the Cobb Lodge, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. But yeah, we built it in 02 and then finished it in 04. But yeah, I spent a lot of years peeling these logs. That whole summer, we just hand peeled all these things. We built it all ourselves. Yeah, you have an incredible uh, heritage of construction and, and builders and very trades-oriented people in your family. Yeah, well, you have to be when you live out here. You got to know how to do everything or you wouldn't survive out here because yeah. if you couldn't fix a tire, then you'd just be stuck out here. <laughs> <laughs> no calling AAA? And no, and, uh, they, don't, AAA. they don't come out here. Actually, you called AAA the first day here. Oh, actually, you called Maddie. Yeah, I was the AAA. Yeah. Fix your tire. Yeah, she brought the tools anyway. <laughs> oh, she didn't fix it? I saw her out there fixing that. You didn't make her fix it? No. No, I just I plugged in the air compressor and that's about it. That was it? Nice. <laughs> Got to do what I can. Tell us a little bit about the fishery. Like, you have rainbows, you've got some browns, some tigers. Yeah, the... A few brooks. Yeah, it's probably like 80% rainbows. Yep. Browns and tigers, they're pretty elusive. But when you do run into one, they're usually the fish of the season. They're fish of a lifetime, really. They're the brown. Yeah, the browns and tigers. Yeah. They're uh, pretty nocturnal, elusive. They're hard to catch. I don't know why. But they're brown trout. Yeah. yeah. And the, the cut bank habitat in this creek is just crazy, you know? The stuff you'd never, ever even think about fishing or the stuff you walk past, they're probably sitting three feet under the bank. Yeah. And, you know, eight inches of water just waiting for nightfall or waiting for the one bug to go by or the one sculpin to go by to eat it. So just they're hard to catch. But these rainbows have like big size. I wouldn't say shoulders because shoulders, you think like a brook trout in Labrador that has these giant shoulders that get super wide. But these have like, they're like slabs. Yeah, they're fat. They're fat and they're tall almost. They're more shaped like a football, mm-hmm. if you will. I caught my first cut bow today, which was awesome. Beautiful. 20 inches. 20 plus. 20 plus? I'd say 20, 21. Okay. I'd be happy with 20, 21. I think it was over three, three and a half pounds. So it was a heavy fish. Definitely. Yeah. And a fun fight. And it was a good time. Yeah. Old fish too. Yep. Known of them, I've known about them for at least four years and that area there so. you've seen this fish before yeah two or three other times in that four years what was so neat about this fish bryce was that we were fishing this whole pool 
And we were done. We were basically done with this pool. I think we were ready to move on to the next pool, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, we just saw this thing, this thing like just crushed a bug and like made a big wake and a big noise. And it was probably only like 12, 15 feet from us at the most. Yeah, if that. Yeah. Yeah. I said, oh, I guess we're not going anywhere yet. We better try something here. So what did you do? I mean, we, we changed flies or what did we do? No, we still had that same caddis on okay. right there before, but it just took that four or five drifts. And you even drifted over him before we walked mm-hmm. up, but it just took that. Well, now we knew where he was, so we could kind of manipulate that caddis to the right spot. And it's so cool because they come from the bottom, almost like this slow gulp, and they just gurgle it down. And it's just the coolest thing to watch these giant rainbows and come up and slap these bugs from the top. And when I was thinking, it's almost like when I fish mice up in Labrador. Sturgill farting again? Sturgill ripped a gnarly one. <laughs> that dog is oh. stinky as dog. Good what is fishing it? partner. Stinky, though. You think we should leave this in or let this cut this on the boat? Keep it in. Keep it in. For sure. Yeah. It's part of the trip. Sturgill. I totally lost my train of thought. We're talking about the... The slow eats. Oh, the, the slow, slow eats, eats yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's that's the cool thing about Sabre Creek is it's small and intimate. You know, so you get to see, it's all visual for the most part, you know, like when it gets lower, it's a little higher now, but when it gets lower, you're seeing every one of those fish and putting that fly in the perfect spot on the first or second cast and just, it's just visual, you know, you get to see those slow takes and just intimate. So when we came in out of Savory, you had uh, Maddie meet us there to kind of escort us in. It was probably like a good 45 minute drive right from the road to get into here in the cabin. Yep, definitely from the town of Savory up to the cabin, at least 45 minutes, unless you're Bryce. <laughs> then you can go a little quicker. Yeah, about 30. <laughs> oh, wow, that's pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, um, when you drive it every day, you got to do it a little quicker. The cool part is you're watching those S-turns as you come in. You get like these high vantage points and you see that and your mouth starts drooling. How much property here? We have around 13,000 acres around the lodge right here so as far as the river right here there's nine miles above us here there's a ton of water but when we start somebody we just i just kind of take them to the creek and if they can cast then i'll take them to a certain spot and if not then i got certain spots i can take them that they can't make the cast you know where we can still get them in the fish yeah there's definitely some very technical areas to this creek mm-hmm. especially when the w starts blowing Oh, yeah. That. We won't talk about the W. I, <laughs> no, I said word's the, not allowed. I said the W a couple times on the first day, but I learned quickly you never want to say it. And we did good today. We didn't say it too much, and, and the W wasn't really a factor. So I think I'm the first one that said it today. Yeah. Well, we'll give you a pass. Mm-hmm. She, she won't give you any yeah, passes. No, but no, no slack. <laughs> so, Bryce, when it comes to, like, the fish, are we talking wild? Are we talking stock? A mix of both? What's the ratio here? So we haven't stocked rainbows for about five years. So once the reservoir got put in, it took us about 10 years to kind of get everything established, you know, like the habitat and the lodge. The lodge has been here longer, but yeah, so once we realized that the rainbows were reproducing fine and there's plenty of rainbows and numbers of all age classes, we stopped stocking rainbows. So we just reintroduced Donaldson's and Kamloops, which are two species of rainbows. But now we just are putting browns in just to try to get them established. But for some reason... In five years, we haven't seen much of a return on them. Where do you think they head off to? Just downstream or? Talking to the game of fish, they think that it's a too harsh of a, a winter habitat. So we always look at the too harsh of a summer habitat, too warm of water. You know, like for a rainbow, they can't live past 75 or 80, you know. With a brown, it's like 80, 85. But we never look at the cold side of things. Mm-hmm. So since we're at 7,000 feet here, the creek, since it's so small, it freezes up pretty hard. 
So they're thinking that those browns are dying from too cold water for too long. Ty, what was your favorite part of the trip so far? I would say my favorite part of the trip is definitely hooking into that uh, big fish yesterday. It was a bit of a slow start for me. Uh, it had been a, a, almost a year since I was uh, on my last fly fishing trip. And so it took me a minute to get back into casting. Finally was able to kind of get into a rhythm. And with the help of uh, Bryce and Matt, I was able to get into a really nice big rainbow. That was cool. And on a dry fly. On dry fly. My very first uh, dry fly experience. And, and I have to say the casting, you know, with the W in the beginning of the day, it was, it was a little hard. rough, a little yeah. rusty, but by the time Ty was getting up to that fish, his casts were looking beautiful. Yeah, this morning too, he was on his game. Oh. Yeah, this afternoon, man. Ready to go. Bomb. He's yeah. bombing him. Yeah. That's good. It's been good to have you here, Ty, on the pod. So where do most of your clients come in from, Bryce? Most of our clients come from uh, the Front Range, Denver, Fort Collins, Boulder, all that country. So it's because it's a four and a half hour drive close enough to us to drive and it's a weekend trip you know yeah we get some people from salt lake and park city and all that country too because it's four and a half hours of salt lake too so so salt lake big into colorado yep steamboat we get a lot of day trips out of steamboat it's only an hour and a half to steamboat and obviously we get some people from the east coast as well yeah i was i'm, I'm like waiting. trout fisheries <laughs> i'm waiting for my east coasters where are they not many We'll have to get him out here. Yeah, glad to hear him, though. Here. Glad to see him here. With some bobless hooks. Yeah, this is a wicked awesome fishery right here in <laughs> Wyoming. What is an experience like for uh, a client when they come out and do some fishing with you? How long is it usually? Is it all customized? Or what is the experience? We do do day trips, but not very often because we're so far away from anywhere, you know. We're at least an hour from any any town, you mm -hmm. know. So most of our trips are three-day, two-nights fishing show up in the evening of the first day, stay the night, fish two full days, stay the night, eat breakfast, and then leave. Yep. And that's about perfect. Three days of fishing this, by the third day, you're kind of, it's kind of a wasted day because, mm -hmm. I mean, you're fishing so, you want to fish so hard the first day because mm -hmm. you're excited. And then the second day, you still want to fish hard. And then the third day, you're like, you just see a lot of clients just kind of dwindle dwindle oh, really? yeah well yeah. it's a lot of walking it's all walk weight up here so yeah. we're fishing walking at least two miles a day which can be hard on a lot of people because they look for the walk weight experience because like we were saying earlier it is more intimate and it tends to be easier for a lot of people instead of fishing out of a drift boat and it can just be rough coming on the third day oh i love it yeah just a word from one of our sponsors and we'll be right back to the show. Are you a guide, a lodge, a fly shop, or a business in the fly fishing industry? Give Art Hofford of Bissell Insurance Agency a call. Art has industry-specific insurance packages and he has specific liability packages for fly fishing guides, outfitters, and businesses in the outdoor industry. Once again, call Art Hofford and you can find his information at BissellInsuranceAgency.com. I remember the first night I was pretty beat after it between the drive, getting here from you know, the East Coast. and But, it, you know, I was ready to go this morning, had an awesome day, and the fish were very cooperative. Those cicadas are huge. Yeah, sometimes the bigger the better with cicadas, especially if the water's a little off color like it was. I noticed that you're not very fond of trying to put a dropper on or a nymph. You're not a big nymph guy. You love throwing dries. <laughs> Neither of us are. <laughs> no. They might eat the dropper. Yeah. I mean, if they're... If they're looking up, they're probably going to snack here before they snack at the surface. You know? Right. So a lot of times if you tie a dropper on, dry dropper and fish it all day, 90% of your fish are going to eat that dropper. 
But if you take the dropper off and just fish that single dry, you know, you'll make them come up. Plus, those dry fly eats, that's that's that, what we're looking for. Those are you, the exciting eats that we what, want. That's what you guys are all about, is that dry fly. And it's like foamy stuff, like the foam cicadas, the grasshoppers. And then when they're not on those bigger bugs, you guys, I know you'll tone it down. You'll go to a, a caddis or like a caddis imitation. You might even go from 3X to 4X. Like that would be one thing our listeners can really benefit from is if they're throwing big dry flies and they're not getting eats, what does your experience tell you to do at that point, Bryce? Just start stepping down in size of your fly and and tip it in your fly. And if that doesn't work, start changing your colors. And if that doesn't work, throw the biggest dry fly you have in your box. (laughs) Go all the way back the other way. (laughs) Yep. And And then if that doesn't work, maybe consider a dropper. (laughs) A dropper. But a lot of of times that that size way bigger, it just triggers something in those fish where they can't let it go. That size way bigger is my favorite tactic when dry fly fishing. Yeah, and I noticed that with you specifically is that you don't waste a lot of time with just pounding water that isn't being productive. You know there's fish there. So if you're not getting eats, you're going to change your fly probably within the first five or seven casts yeah for sure and otherwise you just start teaching those fish it's such a small system you could easily overfish this fishery and be fishing 11 foot leaders with 6x on it before you know it but if you don't beat those fish up you catch one fish per hole and if they're not eating in that hole just move on there's so many holes to go i know and i think that's a good tactic to take anywhere instead of just standing at one hole and pounding it and pounding it you know move on try your chances somewhere else and one question bryce always asks me is are they not seeing the fly or are they rejecting it so that's why we tend to go bigger or different color and i noticed that like you'll often go to a 4x you usually start with three sometimes we would throw in some two not a lot but there was an occasional two yeah. usually it's three and then if you're not getting eats we've changed the fly then you'll go down to a four and we've actually we saw that work a bunch of times yeah for sure i mean they're just they're smart they see that tip at size and they're like oh i'm not eating 3x today i go to 4x yeah and it could be catching the light in the past couple days the creek dropped about 20 cfs so you're getting a lot more clarity in some spots as well yeah and it'll get even worse as july comes around and it'll be super low and clear but we'll still be fishing dries yeah. I want to talk about your season here in the months and what to expect in like a Western Wyoming, especially here at Savory Creek program from the spring to the fall. But before I do that, are you more mono than fluoro? Yeah, for sure. Because it floats? Yep. And you're dry? Yeah, dry or dry. And, and you find that fluoro will sink your flies? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because it's going under. Yeah. Or, or it's just me being superstitious. Because the label says it sinks. <laughs> <laughs> no need to worry about it. Just go mono. Yeah. It's cheaper anyway. Do you have a favorite brand? I don't. I use Rio. I use Rio. Yeah. I use Rio. Just because it's real. You just use it, right? Yeah. Others, yeah. I'm sure, are fine. I mean, you've seen how much tippet I went through the last two days, you know? Yeah. Just pull it out, cut it, cut it off. Yeah. So it goes on. I've definitely used some scientific anglers or SA, but, you know, they're both comparable. Yeah. A true craftsman doesn't blame his tools. Exactly. See, we're getting into the heart. This is what I wanted. I want the truth. It took me a minute to get it out of Bryce, but I know we were to get going. He's going to tell you how it is. And that's what I love. He's no nonsense. He's definitely no nonsense. It was so cool in that one hole that I went into today. You had me cross the river to fish this one section of the river, this one pool from the other side. And so I kind of had to kneel up on it, kind of like that old spring creek where you had to kind of kneel. And the, the shrub was rough on my knees. It wasn't too good to kneel up on <laughs> So I got a little close and I said, all right, 
I'm going to just cast. He said, all right, well, how should I cast? He says, just drop it over. So I kind of just made, I didn't even back cast. I just dropped it over and I kind of high sticked it through and I couldn't even see my fly. And then what happened? You're like, tell me when to set. And about two seconds later, fish came up, ate the beetle. Set. Set. (laughs) I couldn't even see it. I know. I I barely saw the beetle when I first started going drifting. And then it drifted where I couldn't even see it. It was down probably five or six feet over the bank. And I'm just holding the rod high, like a high stick. And I just heard you say set. And I set the hook. And next thing I know, I see a fish come up over the bank. And that's the first time I saw what was going on is the fish coming up over the bank. I love that. I mean, you can get as technical as you want, you know. I get a lot of clients that have been fishing for 40, 50 years, you know, way better fishermen than I am. I learn from them, and they take their time. I have a guy that's fished with me for about four years, and he'll see a fish rise, and he'll wait for probably two two hours sometimes on that one fish. If it's a good fish, he just waits. And Bryce gets a little impatient. Yeah, patience. I wasn't thinking that's his... Yeah, I'll go take a nap in the bushes. (laughs) But yeah, you can get super technical if that's what you want to do, you know. There's so much different types of water. And that's the other thing I saw too. There's so many... Even though we're saying it's kind of a meandering creek and has the S-turns, but there's so much different environment in in nature and in structure and trees and cover and canyon. There's like all these different styles of fishing a creek within this creek. Yeah. It either fishes like a freestone or fishes like a tailwater, you know? It's it's not necessarily a tailwater. I mean, it comes out of a dam, but it doesn't fish like a tailwater, you know? You're not fishing midges. And just the different types of environment. Like, you've got open plains where some people might be growing some grass, growing some hay, and then you've got other areas that are in a canyon, and then you've got areas that are chock full of willows. So you just got to be... Mm-hmm. ready and ready to fish all these diverse areas and keep your cast high for something that's as technical and there's there's shrubbery around there's grass around it's not that crazy i'm sure there's different parts of the river that are are much tougher to cast than others but the stuff that we saw was not very difficult no and i mean there's always ways around it you know mm-hmm. i know where to put people and where the easiest cast is and where the lane is you know yeah so what does the season look like for you bryce i mean what time of the year do you start and what time of the year does this fishery kind of tail off we usually start around may 1st okay because that's usually when the snow leaves and the drifts the snow drifts leave um and we run from may 1st all the way until November 1st, really. I mean, that's when the snow starts showing back up. You're not fishing dries all the way in the November, of course, but I have had dries in November. But yeah, it turns into streamer fishing in the fall, just like anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then after that, winter comes. Other hatches, I mean, what are your hatches like? Is it mostly just the terrestrials and the caddis? Uh, no, we get some brown drakes. They should be showing up any day. Kind of cool on this side of our divide, we get brown drakes, but on the North Platte side, they don't have brown drakes. They only have green drakes. Interesting. So it's crazy how the continental divide can change change that. I've never seen a green drake here in my life. Wow. Brown drakes are pretty prolific when they come. And that's usually like July? Yeah, first of July, end of June, somewhere mm-hmm. in there. And they're big and beautiful. You love the drakes. I do. I just, I love my aquatic insects. <laughs> we get everything. Since it's such a small system, you know, we don't get prolific, huge hatches like you see on big rivers, but right. we get a steady flow of everything, you know. We get yellow sallies, golden stones, sandflies, flies, blue wing olives, PMDs, march browns, a lot of different bugs. So it's a lot of different fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
And yeah. you just throw a beetle through everything. <laughs> or a cicada. <laughs> yep. And in the winter, um, we actually get quite a few winter stoneflies as well. Small little black ones that'll hatch. So the cicadas come all year, or what is their months that are bigger than others? Cicadas like to come when it's warm and okay. can be a little wet as well. You know, they're terrestrial, so they're digging up through the ground. Yep. Not an aquatic insect, but they do like to hang around the water. When they fall into the water and they're flapping their wings trying to get out, that's when those trout are looking up and they're hungry. They're going for it. They're ready. Yeah, I just have to mention the, the slow rise from the bottom, and you can see it too. Yeah, there's a... Uh... You know it's coming. Fish either react really hard to them or they know they're not going anywhere. So if they yeah. get in the groove, if they've ate 10 that day, they're just slow, steady. I would say my second favorite, well, my third favorite moment, my first favorite moment was watching Ty catch that dry, uh, that big, big fish on the dry. My second favorite was that rainbow, that cut bow, when we saw him, you know, eat and then we went back after him. And then probably my third favorite is when we were casting up into this like little waterfall, this little kind of rock structure went down and it created like a little waterfall situation there and we would cast straight up into it and kind of strip back and or just let it flow back almost yeah. you didn't even have to strip back you could just kind of mend you know kind of put, take your line in straight back towards you we had a giant cicada on our beetle on at that point and it just watched it come in and it kind of started to tail out and get shallow 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 and then we just saw this big freaking rainbow come straight as we was its mouth coming and we could see the whole thing and it was just as it was about to tail out and get too shallow it made a hard charge for it and then crushed it yeah that was one of those times where the, the bigger fly showed results more than the little fly mm-hmm. you drifted that caddis or i think that small pmx over it like maybe eight times yep and then we went to the big cicada and like first second cast just crushed it and then you were like oh wow you, you know that was awesome how you waited because a lot of times when that slow set you could set too soon yeah when they're eating towards you too 90 mm-hmm. percent of the time they pull right out of the mouth mm-hmm. i've seen that a lot so you gotta wait yep. you gotta wait on those big sets you can watch it eat and say god save the queen and then set it. <laughs> it's not salmon fishing maddie <laughs> That's it's the, the same concept yeah, they say that a lot for dry fly fishing well we're not going to talk about the rest of that story how the fish started charging at me Oh, I was going to say that was my favorite part of the day. What was your favorite part? Or my favorite part of the trip. Same fish. Same fish. You said it. It was great. It starts running right at you. Bryce is yelling, back up, back up, back up. You're backing up. You're stripping. Ty and I are on the bank watching like, yes, this is awesome. Next thing you know, I'm yelling, don't back up too far. <laughs> Boom. You fall right into a pool. <laughs> it I, was... <laughs> I backed up so far, I backed up into the pool behind me. Backed it up a little too much. <laughs> and then we lost the fish. Yep. And then we lost the fish. Oh, my goodness. You weren't going to tell that story. I'm fine with telling that story. It was funny. It was definitely funny. Ty, you want to add something? Something that was brand new to me for an experience was uh, walk waiting. And I was like, I could already feel the heat as soon as I got out of the car. I was like, ugh, we're going to be in waiters in this. I'm going to be roasting. But just being able to walk wade in just my... my Wet wade. Wet wade. Yeah, because wet wade, you never never wet waded before. Yep. And so just being able to walk through the water, and it wasn't even as cold as I anticipated because the kind of wading I'm used to is up in in, uh, Labrador in in Quebec. And so the water is just, it's always cold. You're always at least maybe, maybe up to your waist. It was a really amazing experience just to kind of feel that freedom of not having so much weight on you. Yeah, it's fun not having waders on. It is. Less hot and the you guys always, love it. Always wet weight. Always. Yeah, I hate waders. 
Yeah. The only Hate time it. we're wearing waders is uh, when it's about 27 degrees or it's pouring rain. You know, then we consider putting them on. But besides yeah. that, we're in sandals and pants. We're ready to rock. You guys are May 1st to kind of the beginning of September. And then kind of day trips after that because you guys turn into a hunting lodge in the fall. Yep. So we start guiding hunters after that. So we don't offer lodging. We have hotels and stuff in the local towns around us. And we'll just pick you up at the hotel and, you know, do trips from there. But, yeah, as far as the lodge, we're packed full for hunting. What is the hunting like around here? It's great. For deer, elk? Yep. Mule deer, elk, antelope, black bears, mountain lions. These are our main animals we hunt. So, yeah. Well, you guys have been a blast to hang out the past few days. Thank you so much for having us up, and thank you for showing us this beautiful fishery. Yeah, thanks for having us on your podcast, and we loved having you guys up at our lodge. Yeah, it's been a good time. Yeah. So how do how do people kind of find out more about Savory Creek fishing? Uh, just Google Savory Creek, and everything should come up on... Website, yeah. Facebook. Website, Facebook, Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. Fly Fishing Journey's been tagging you guys on a bunch of stuff, so... Yep. Yeah, any of that works for us. <laughs> We're always available. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we don't have service up here, but... Yeah, that's one thing, yeah. Be prepared. Well, you'd have a little bit of satellite Wi-Fi, but yeah. no cell service for me. No, if you have anything but Union Wireless, you know... Yeah, you're going to take a couple days off of your cell phone, which is fine. It's good. It's a nice, healthy It adds cleanse. to it, too, yeah. You know? Yeah. Guys, thanks for being on the Fly Fishing Journeys podcast. It's been a blast having you. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Yeah, thanks, Rob. And Ty. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Fly Fishing Journeys with your host, Rob Giannino. To be notified of new episodes, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. You can follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. For past episodes, check out flyfishingjourneys.com. Fly fishing is a journey, and we're glad you're on this journey with us.